Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the CAE Second Quarter Conference Call. Please be advised that the call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Andrew Arnovitz. You may now proceed. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that today's remarks, including management's outlook and answers to questions, contain forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements represent our expectations as of today, November 11, 2021, and accordingly are subject to change. Such statements are based on assumptions that may not materialize and are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially, and listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. A description of the risks, factors, and assumptions that may affect future results is contained in C's annual MDNA available on our corporate website and in our filings with the Canadian Securities Administrators on CEDAR and the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on EDGAR. On the call with me this afternoon are Marc Perron, C's President and Chief Executive Officer, and Sonia Branco, our Chief Financial Officer. After remarks from Mark and Sonia, we'll take questions from financial analysts and institutional investors. And following the conclusion of that Q&A period, we'll open the call to questions from members of the media. Let me now turn the call over to Mark. Thank you, Andrew, and good afternoon to everyone joining us on the call. Let me just start by reminding reminding all of us that today is November 11th, Veterans Day in the United States, Remembrance Day in Canada. So let me just start by saying thank you for all veterans for their service. You know, on this November 11th, we honor members of the military, both past and present, veterans of all conflicts, those who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, and those who served our countries today. I can tell you, see, we're privileged to work with every day with many veterans. We have over 2,000 in employees CA, and I can tell you, I'm honored to work and be in the company of heroes. They bring a unique point of view and skill set to our company and a pride that allows us to achieve new heights. Now on to the court. In an environment where we continue to experience an uneven recovery in the various markets and geographies where we operate, CA delivered year-over-year growth in the second quarter. On a consolidated basis, we drove 16% year-over-year revenue growth and 17 cents of adjusted earnings per share. These results came mainly from the strengthening of our civil training business, the continued progress of our structural cost savings program, and the integration of L3 Harris military training into our defense results. We also built continued momentum with $871 million in orders for a positive book-to-sales ratio of 1.07 times and an $8.8 billion backlog. In civil, Second quarter average training center utilization was 53%, up from 49% last year and 3% lower than last quarter, 
reflecting usual seasonality, but also the varying global realities with respect to the COVID-19 Delta variant and the measures taken to contain its spread. For example, in the Americas, with the benefit of high vaccination rates and easing travel restrictions, we saw near pre-pandemic demand during this period in both commercial and business aviation trading. While at the same time, Asia Pacific took a step back and remained at low levels as countries, including Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam, renewed lockdowns. On the orders front, we signed civil training solutions contracts valued at $409 million for a 1.13 times book to sales ratio, including nine full flight simulator sales and a five year air aircraft maintenance training partnership with Air Canada, a three year exclusive agreement with Brussels Airlines, a five year agreement with Envoy Air, a four year agreement with PGA Portugalia, and finally a five year agreement with Alaska Airlines. We also announced new partnerships and relationships including a strategic partnership with Beta Technologies to design and develop a best-in-class pilot and maintenance technician program for the Alia eVTOL aircraft, as well as a relationship with Star Insurance Companies for a first-of-its-kind program that combines a rigorous training regimen and insurance for single-pilot jet owners. Additionally, Inatech Exacare Aviation Group has become the launch partner for CE's innovative suite of digital services specific to the business aviation market. On the expansion front, we deployed a Boeing 737 MAX full flight simulator in Europe at our Amsterdam training center, and we announced a new flight training location in Las Vegas, Nevada, in order to meet higher demand and, ex and expand our business aviation footprint, which is expected to open next summer in Las Vegas. In defense, we closed the acquisition acquisition of L3 Harris military training on July 2nd, and it delivered solid revenue with double-digit margins in a quarter, in line with what we expected. I had the pleasure to visit our new employees and facilities in Texas and Colorado in August to inaugurate the closing, and I can tell you I'm highly impressed by the technologies we've acquired and the potential for even greater differentiation of our defense training and mission support solutions. I'm also extremely pleased by the great cultural fit with CE. We live and breathe simulation and training in support of our customers' most critical missions. The energy and excitement of our combined teams that they have for the future is really palpable. palpable. And, and since the acquisition, we've retained, and I think this is a fantastic feat, all 67 members of the senior leadership team, which is a very strong statement in and of itself, about the strength of our shared vision and the mutual passion for what we do. The organic defense business was negatively impacted this quarter by delays in orders and program execution, particularly international, which have been largely due to the pandemic. And notwithstanding those headwinds, we booked defense orders for $428 million in a quarter, representing a book to sales ratio of 1.02 times. Those orders included, included our recently announced first ever prime contract award from the U.S. intelligence community with the Beyond 3D prototype for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. We'll be integrating our capabilities across digi digital technologies, big data architectures, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, making this a prime example of CAE at the forefront of modeling and simulation expertise for mission and operations support across the multi-domain environment. 
Other notable defense orders during the quarter involve a range of contracts for support services, similar upgrades, and modifications in support of customers, including the U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force, and Air, Air National Guard, and internationally for the German Armed Forces. In healthcare, we also experienced COVID-related headwinds during the quarter, particularly in Florida, where our business is based. In light of the added challenges, I continue to be very encouraged by the dedication and the achievements of our team to deliver double-digit year-over-year top-line growth in the quarter, excluding the ventilator contract from last year. Notably, this marks the third quarter of year-over-year -year revenue growth for healthcare as it ramps up, ramps up an expanded and re-energized organization. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Sonia. I'll provide additional details about our financial performance, and I'll return to the call at the end of the call to comment on our outlook. Sonia? Thank you, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. We delivered year-over-year -year growth during the second quarter, and our results continue to reflect the success of the measures that we have taken to strengthen the company, both externally in terms of expanding our reach and adapting to dynamic market conditions, and internally by lowering our cost structure. Consolidated revenue of $814.9 million was 16% higher compared to the second quarter last year. Adjusted segment operating income was $90.7 million compared to $79.3 million last year. Quarterly adjusted net income was $53.2 million or 17 cents per share compared to 13 cents in the second quarter last year. Cash provided by operating activities this quarter was down 32% to $30.9 million compared to $45.6 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2021. Free cash flow was $19.4 million compared to $44.9 million last year. The decrease was mainly due to increasing cash provided by operating due in part to cash costs for restructuring, integration, and acquisition costs this quarter, which amended to approximately $52 million. We usually see a higher investment in non-cash working capital accounts in the first half of this fiscal year, as in previous years. Uh, we expect a portion of that non-cash working capital investment to reverse in the second half. Also, we continue to target a 100% conversion of net income to free cash flow for the year. Growth and maintenance capital expenditures totaled $46.7 million this quarter, mainly for growth and specifically to add capacity to our global training network to deliver on the long-term exclusive training contracts in our backlog. Our growth capex is directly linked to our opportunities to invest incremental capital with attractive returns and free cash flows. With several attractive market-led expansion investments on the horizon, we continue to expect total capital expenditures to be more than $250 million for fiscal year 2022. Income tax recovery this quarter amounted to $13 million, which normalized restructuring, integration, and acquisition costs represents a rate of negative 1% compared to an effective tax rate of 14% for the second quarter of last year. On this basis, the decrease in the tax rate was due to impacts of changes in tax laws on tax assets, positive impact of audits, and the mix of income from various jurisdictions. Our net debt position at the end of the quarter was $2.48 billion for a net debt to capital ratio of 38.2% and net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 3.55 times at the end of the quarter. All told, between cash and available credits, we have approximately $2.2 billion of available liquidity. The increase in net debt this quarter was mainly attributed to the closing of the L3 Harris military training acquisition and the execution of the related finance package. We see this increase flowing through to interest expense which should continue at about this $35 million quarterly run rate going forward. 
Now turning to our segmented performance. In civil, second quarter revenue was stable compared to Q2 last year at $362.1 million, and adjusted segment operating income was up $13.4 million over the second quarter last year to $65.3 million for a margin of 18%. This was the result of higher training utilization in the Americas, offset by lower product revenues with a delivery of only five simulators this quarter compared with 10 last year and 11 last quarter. The lower simulator delivery number this quarter was on plan, and we continue to expect deliver, to deliver north of 30 simulators for the year. Our ability to drive an 18% margin on just 53% training utilization shows the benefits of the higher mix and training and the solid progress we're making to ramp up our recurring cost savings initiatives. In defense, second quarter revenue of $417.9 million was up 38% over Q2 last year. This includes $135.1 million from the integration of the L3 Harris military training in our financials, adjusted segment operating income was $26.7 million, including $16.2 million from the acquisition, for a margin of 6.4%. On an organic basis, our defense business decreased this quarter, most acutely in terms of adjusted segment operating income, and as Mark pointed out, this was mainly driven by delays in product-related orders and program interruptions and delays, particularly internationally as COVID impacts persisted in several regions. Underlying the quarterly defense book-to-sales ratio of 1.02 times were international orders which continued to lag at 0.75 times book-to-sales and orders from the U.S. which were higher at 1.15 times. We closed the acquisition early and synergies realized in the quarter were nominal. We are progressing well with integration efforts and are on track for the 35 to 45 million of cost, total cost synergies by the end of year two following our closing of the transaction. And in healthcare, second quarter revenue was $34.9 million, up 17% excluding the ventilator contract last year. Adjusted segment operating loss was $1.3 million in the quarter compared to an income of $3.2 million in Q2 of last year. Segment operating income reflects growth in SG&A expenses in preparation for higher revenue growth and the impacts of the quarter related to the severe COVID conditions in Florida, which affected supply chain and limited the team's ability to execute on orders. With that, I will ask Mark to discuss the way forward. Thanks, Sonia. As we look to the period ahead, we're confident that we'll emerge from the pandemic a larger, more resilient, and more profitable CA than ever before. I'm very confident of that. Until then, we must manage in an environment with disparate rates of recovery in our markets and the geographies where we operate, something that will likely continue to be a factor for several more quarters until a more uniform global recovery takes hold. We have additional reason for optimism with the reopening of the U.S. border this week to vaccinated international travelers and the latest news about the potential of antivirals to mitigate the effects of COVID-19. Ultimately, the slope of our recovery to pre-pandemic levels and beyond rests on the timing and rate at which border restrictions and quarantine measures around the world can safely be lifted. We certainly have been standing still waiting for the recovery to happen, and we've been focused on the things that we can control. Specifically, we began stronger by playing offense in a downturn, and I'm very encouraged by everything that we've done to reinforce CE's base over the last year and a half to expand our horizons for long-term sustainable growth. The pursuit of an expanded growth opportunities pipeline has so far netted CA nine accretive acquisitions, 
including the most recent announcement of our agreement to acquire Sabre's Air Center Airlines operations portfolio, a highly valuable suite of flight and crew management and optimization software solutions designed to enable airlines to operate their businesses with efficiency and precision. And we continue to secure highly attractive opportunities to deploy organic growth capital, including our recent expansion of business aviation training in Las Vegas, Nevada. And at the same time, as expanding seas reach externally, we've substantially, we're substantially lowering our cost structure and achieving even greater levels of operational excellence. In fact, we're on track to reach a run rate of 65 to $70 million of annual recurring cost savings by the start of the next fiscal year in April 2022. In civil, a greater desire by airlines to entrust CAE with their critical training and digital operational support and crew management needs, higher expected pilot demand, and strong, strong growth in business jet travel are enduring positives underpinning a secular growth market. There's considerable pent-up demand for commercial passenger air travel, and once unleashed, drives higher flight activity and training demand. We're seeing this chain of events manifest itself already in the Americas, where we're experiencing a near total recovery in training utilization and a strengthening pipeline of full-flight simulator order activity. We believe that this provides a blueprint for what a gl broader global recovery in air travel should look like. And since the end of the quarter, the market has improved with average training center utilization trending to upwards of 60% globally, again with the highest utilization rates currently in the Americas, combined with still relatively depressed levels in Asia and the Middle East. In business aviation, we're seeing, we're seeing strong demand for training across the network propelled by flying activity in the United States and Europe that is now well above 2019 levels. The uneven nature of the global recovery is likely to persist for a while, but we're ultimately in an excellent position to benefit from the multi-year cyclical market recovery that's currently underway. And for the current fiscal year, we expect continued strong growth in civil weighted more heavily to the second half. In defense, the paradigm shift from asymmetric to near-peer threat and a recognition of the sharply increased need for digital immersion-based synthetic solutions in national defense are tailwinds that favor CA's business. Given the, increasingly, uh, the increasing relevancy of training and simulation, our defense unit is also on a multi-year path to become a larger and more profitable business. We're currently focused on the successful integration of L3 Harris's military trained business and expect to fully realize the $35 million to $45 million of cost synergies that we laid out by fiscal year 2024. Defense is now more closely aligned with our defense customers' utmost priorities and is established as the world's leading platform agnostic global training and simulation defense pure play business. This is expected to bring increased potential to capture business around the world, accelerated with expanded capability and customer set that we now possess. The pandemic has made international opportunities slower to materialize in the current environment, but this headwind is temporary. And we have a strong pipeline with some $6.5 billion of bids and proposals pending customer decisions. 
we continue to expect to deliver strong annual growth for fiscal year 2022 with sequentially quarterly, sequential quarterly improvements in revenue and adjusted segment operating income expected in the second half. Supporting our view is our expectation for a reacceleration in order intake, especially from bids involving international programs as pandemic-related disruptions ease, and with that, we also expect the defense book sales ratio for the fiscal year to exceed one for the first time in the last four years. Other drivers in the second half and beyond include higher levels of execution on programs, specifically those involving higher margin products, as well as the progressive realization of synergies as we integrate L3 Harris military training. And lastly, our outlook for healthcare is continued quarterly year-over-year growth as we ramp up our expanded and re-energized organization. Over the long term, we believe healthcare is on track to become a sustainably material and profitable business. And for the current fiscal year, we project double-digit growth compared to last year, excluding the ventilator contract. In summary, while there's no doubt that COVID-related impacts continue to affect all of our business units, we increasingly see a clearer path to recovery and a larger, more resilient, and more profitable CAE in the future. Specifically, we're currently targeting to reach a consolidated, consolidated adjusted segment operating margin of approximately 17% by the time our markets are generally recovered with steady room for further improvement after. We expect to reach this level of profitability on a significantly larger base of business with a post-pandemic capital structure that will allow us to sustain ample flexibility to further invest in our future. We continue to play offense during this period of disruption as evidenced by our nine accretive acquisitions and continued growth capital deployment since the pandemic began. As business conditions continue to improve further, we look to extend this posture as it relates to both organic and inorganic growth investment. Our opportunity set continues to look very attractive. And personally, I've never been as excited about CA's future as I am today. So with that, I thank you for your attention. We're now ready to take your questions. Thank you, uh, Mark. Uh, operator, I'd ask that you please open the line to members of the financial community. Thank you. If you'd like to register for a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you'd like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. Our first question is from Fadi Shamoon from BMO. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my first question, um, my first question on the on the uh, kind of legacy defense business. It seems like we've been in this seven eight percent EBIT margin for the past several quarters. This quarter we dropped to 3.7 percent. I know you offered up some some explanations towards what's going on there. I'm not sure if you can maybe elaborate a little bit, give us a couple of examples of what's really kind of happening in that business, and um, what do you expect in the second half of this year? Do we see 
a step back to where we were in past quarters, or is this more of a gradual recovery that we should expect from this, um, uh, you know, uh, I guess, organic defense business? Well, you know, uh, thanks, Patty. Look, as I said in the remarks, uh, we're continuing to expect strong, strong year over growth in this year. So clearly, we're going to have to have a good, a pretty good second half. And that's, and that's, and I talk for defense as a whole, but, uh, which is obviously combining well, the integration of Alfred Harris. I mean, the story with the legacy business, or shall I call it, I hate using that term, but we'll, we'll use it for the moment here, organic, uh, organic business is one of continued COVID-related disruptions, both on order intake and uh, impacting our execution. And you know, I, I can tell you that there's, a, there's at least five international orders that I fully expected, I'm not gonna lie to you, I fully expected to come in this quarter, but did not happen. And because of Delta, for example, inability to access customers in the least, in the Far East, five at least internationally. As uh, other factors, I, I could I could point to you. Like for example, Florida was one of, in during the summer was one of the hardest hits, if not the hardest hit, as well as as uh, Texas, which is another big state for CAE, in terms of the COVID effects and the, and the, the variants attacking that. So clearly, that had an effect. And you know, just as testimony that I said before, our Florida training center, we train international customers of C-130H. You, know, you can well imagine that there's no customers coming, <laughs> and I. But the situation is changing. You know, borders are opening, international travelers come back. The COVID situation is incredibly much better, not only across the United States but in Florida specifically. So those are the kind of things that we can see near term, which gives us more confidence in the outlook. And, and when you look at the business as a whole, you know, for defense, I'm talking about organic plus the integration. You know, we're starting. We're we're, we're going to be starting rolling out of the benefits of our synergies. You see, I mean, the, most of that was started, you know, like, for example, reductions in force that happened uh, at post end of the quarter. So for all these reasons, you know, it, it really is COVID-related impacts that we've seen that really drove that because our book to bill for the last few quarters, as you know, in the organic defense business has been below one. And eventually, you know, you run out of backlog that you can execute in an efficient manner. And that's really the situation that we're seeing here. But again, those orders coming. We've been selected on these orders. So I would have, I've always expected a back half in defense to be the strong order. I, so, and that's what I said last quarter. I mean, but we've lost, you know, because of COVID, it, you know, we've lost some that I would have liked to have gotten in the, in the second quarter, no doubt. But it doesn't change my view of the full year. <laughs> Maybe I could just, but Sonny, you want to add something? Yeah, if I just, uh, you know, just a quick recap and, and laying it out, uh, the way we see it on the organic business with delivering, as you, you mentioned, Patty, uh, kind of the, in the 7 8% range, that's in the 20s on SOI. Um, and then so, as Mark uh, explained, as we see those, those uh, delayed orders wrap back up, as we advance the programs that we do have in backlog, uh, that has been disturbed by COVID, uh, either um, interrupted or fully uh, or fully stopped, uh, some in the Middle East. So as those ramp back up, as the pandemic-related disruptions ease, then you layer on the contribution of the acquisition as well as starting to ramp up the synergies. Um, you know that will take us to the 30s and 40s in the upcoming quarters. Okay, 
Okay. Um, so uh, that comment, 30s, 40s, you're talking about FOI in dollar terms. Right? Uh, yeah, okay. FOI. Uh, okay. Um, okay. 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 Um, that's helpful. The other question I wanted to ask is on um, the leverage, the M&A, and the opportunities you're seeing. You're, you're up to 3.55, probably go up a little bit with the Saber acquisition closing in a couple of quarters. Um, like how, how comfortable are you with this type of leverage, given the pipeline of maybe opportunities you're seeing at this point? Is is, is M&A in the back burner now until you kind of get this profitability level back to delever the balance sheet, or how are you kind of thinking about this leverage level uh, given the pipeline of acquisition and the opportunities you're seeing? Well, I'll start out with I'm very comfortable. So the quarter closed at 38% net debt to cap, 3.55 times net debt to adjusted EBITDA. Uh, with all the financing related to the L3 Harris military training acquisition. Um, and with the expected closing of the air center operations, uh, probably in, in our Q4, we'll be using our existing liquidity, which will drive uh, our net debt to cap higher, probably a little above the 40, 40%, uh, but we're expecting quick deleveraging in the next fiscal year with uh, the, the highly cash-generative business, uh, uh, organic business, and the cash flow accretiveness of this new acquisition. Now, you'll, you'll, you'll remember all the previous capital raises that we did in FY21, and that was exactly to provide the flexibility to support the organic and the inorganic growth opportunities that we saw. So, you know, we've seen some great opportunities come out of all of this disruption, of disruption, and it allows us to seize on them, creating long-term value and strengthening the company to become bigger and more profitable. We, we have continued to have a pipeline, um, but as you've seen, we're patient, we're disciplined, uh, we'll wait for the right opportunities at the right value, as we've done with Air Center, uh, L3 Harris, and even Bombardier Training. So, um, you know, very comfortable. And ultimately, you know, it goes back to our capital allocation priorities, uh, balance, accretive growth, organic, inorganic, with a solid financial position. Okay. I appreciate the feedback. The 17% target, can you offer up what's the mix behind this, like how much is defense representing how much is aviation representing? That's it for me. Thanks. I think, uh, you know, we're providing that guidance on a consolidated basis, really to, to underpin um, the messaging that all of these uh, internal, external measures is really to drive a larger business, a more profitable business. So what we're guiding at is that at once we do hit that recovery level, um, that not only will we exceed pre-pandemic measures, but on a much larger scale base of business. Yeah, I think maybe I would add, I mean, there's no doubt that what, what that's going to be made of, you know, new highs in civil margins, for sure. Some of that, a lot of that with the leverage, as you said, plus the, the acquisitions that we've made, and as well, you know, double-digit uh, margins in defense. That's what's going to comprise that uh, mix. Thank you. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Our next question is from the line of Konark Gupta from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks, uh, Good afternoon. So I have a few questions uh, just on defense and civil, perhaps. Uh, maybe it's sticking to defense for now. Um, like if I if I look back uh, when you acquired LT Harris, um, I think uh, it, it was uh, five hundred million dollars in US. I think to revenue business <coughs> or so annually. Um, and what you did in uh, in the second quarter, obviously, was uh, was below that run rate. Uh, so, A, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if uh, there uh, was some sort of a transitionary impact in Q2 uh, where we will see probably more, you know, contribution from L3 Harris going forward as, as you integrate them. Uh, and then uh, with L3 Harris together with, uh, with the defense organic business, assuming it kind of rebounds to the 8 9% margin level or so, and the synergy, uh, is this 11 12% kind of range kind of an extent? The acceptable margin profile for the defense business for you guys. Thanks. Yeah, we missed some of it, but just the last part of your question. Just say, say it again, Connor. Yeah, I was wondering uh, on the margin profile. If defense organic business goes back to eight nine percent margin, and then L3 Harris plus synergies, uh, you know, obviously they are double digit margins right now. Um, the overall defense business seems like it's it's going towards twelve percent EBIT margin uh, with all those. Oh yeah, no. Look, as I said before, eleven twelve percent is a good is a is a good uh, number to plug in longer term for sure. I mean that's where we're headed. No doubt about that. Right, and on the first part of the question uh, about uh, LC Harris, uh, is there an ability to ramp up revenue here uh, given it's below their uh, run rate before you acquired them? Well, it's early days with L3 Harris, but I'm quite confident with what I'm saying that we're, that we're going to deliver, uh, or you know, the the L3 Harris, the the old legacy L3 Harris business, uh, in, and the synergies that we're that together that we're going to generate, uh, we're going to be achieving the margins that we talked about when we acquired the business, and and I definitely see that. I'm quite happy with what we're seeing in the first quarter, and and more of that's coming. Right. Thanks for that. 
And then uh, on the civil side, um, so you touch upon the utilization levels, and uh, clearly Americas are, are doing better. Asia Pacific are lagging. Where where are you in Europe? And what are you seeing there? <clears throat> and then uh, as we head into sort of the seasonally stronger second half. Uh, with both commercial and uh, business aviation, um, should utilization levels uh, kind of go to 60% plus, you think, or we are kind of stuck in the 50s right now? Well, look, I mean, you read what I read eh? <laughs> in terms of the COVID, re- COVID recovery. Look, the thing I would tell you is, as we said in, uh, on, in the remarks, that I like what I see in Americas right now, specifically in the United States. You know, we're seeing utilization rates in the United States back at back in the levels of, of COVID, uh, we're prior to COVID-19, we're seeing very high rates of utilization in business aircraft. This summer, obviously, we talked about their seasonal effect and, and the fact that, you know, Europe kind of missed uh, the whole summer because of Delta. Uh, but going forward, look, to me, uh, util- utilization, utilization rates are very much correlated by vaccination rates. And if you look at, if you extrapolate vaccination rates, and of course that comes with lifting of restrictions on borders that governments have to do, and the ability for to, to the ability for people to travel, we've seen the pent up demand and how that's driving business. I can tell you, I was at in the early part of the month uh, of October. I was at the, uh, I had a general meeting in, in Boston, and I, I can tell you, I met a lot of airline CEOs, and I I can tell you, there's a palpable optimism. Out there, as as vaccination rates, you know, uh, you know, are increased, and that's just one U.S. and and when and when we're basically talking to uh, airlines, specifically in those areas like the United States, where we are seeing that you know that that increase in activity because you know the vaccination rates are high and the level of vaccination is low, we can see a lot of activity as testimony by the rise in, in sales uh, sales activity, which is not only testimony to the orders that we've announced so far, but in terms of the activity that I see, which is quite nice at the moment, and at the same level as, and so, so really, look, in terms of, in terms of going back to the, the root of your question, to predicting, again, I'll go back to what I said, you read what I, uh, you read what I read. I mean, we have, uh, you know, a, a situation that seems to be degrading in Germany right now. We still have a very low level of vaccination in the Far East. So I think those have to, but I think on the, on the long-term trend is getting better. So we will get better in utilization in lockstep with the increase in, in flighting activity driven by vaccination rates. We're not going to get ahead of it because we don't know. We don't know. I mean, in the end, if you look at, there's a wide variety of estimates out there. You know, since the beginning, we said, well, look, we'll follow the IATA a forecast of what that seems to still be a pretty you know good one. Although I would tell you, I think the U.S. Have, has has uh, has beat that. You know, as soon as vaccination rates pull up. So long term, long answer to your question. But coming back to say, is all I can say is when we do come across it, when the traffic it does come back, which it will. You know, with all the actions that we've taken, I'm extremely confident that we're going to be a much bigger, a much stronger, and a much more profitable business. And that's where we're headed. Right. And that makes sense. If I can just follow up on the comment you mentioned about the airline CEOs being optimistic, 
Uh, a lot of airlines have come out recently saying they are scrambling for pilots. Um, this is kind of counterintuitive. I'm like, the industry lost a lot of pilots. So do you know what's happening there? Are pilots, are people not willing to train as pilots here? Is that where the shortage is coming from? Or, or, or there's not enough supply to train pilots as much as, as, as the airlines want? Well, I think I've said before, there's no doubt in my mind that there was a pilot shortage uh, before uh, the pandemic, and there's going to be a pilot shortage after. We're part of the solution to that problem. Okay, and the uh, level, you know, I think I've said this in a, in a number of conference calls before, the level of activity in our, in our flight schools, and we'll remember, we're the I think, largest network of flight schools in the world for training people to become airline pilots, and the level of activity there has not reduced throughout the pandemic except for when our schools were shut down because we couldn't operate because of COVID. I can tell you uh, carriers, including legacy carriers uh, across the world, have not only, in, in, in most cases, kept their, their, uh, their, their uh, orders with us for a number of pilots they want from us, but in large case, increased it. And that's the trend that we see. Uh, there's, I, I think become a pilot is a great career right now. I can tell you that. That's my view for darn sure. And I think that's a great that's a great thing for us as a business. Makes sense. Uh, thanks for the answer. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Kevin Chang from CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, and thanks thanks for taking my question. Um, if I could ask a utilization question, uh, maybe just focus on the Americas. Uh, Mark, you mentioned. Uh, it looks like these are basically back to, to maybe pre-pandemic levels or, or, or close to, given given the the, the recovery in, in commercial aviation. There, are, are you seeing a difference in maybe the split between um, what was in-source training versus uh, third-party training? Because I guess there's a thesis out there uh, that you know, as we come out of the pandemic, there'll be a a greater opportunity for for you to capture maybe more third-party training as airlines might look to outsource some of this to reduce their costs. Are you seeing that in the U.S. As, as they bring back training much more aggressively? The answer is yes. Yes, we are seeing it. The, uh, the, the fact is a lot of the contracts that we've, that we've announced uh, in this quarter, previous quarters, are just testimony to that. There's, for a number of reasons. Number one is that people are seeking capacity, and they, they're looking capacity for training their pilots. And we can we can offer that capacity. We've been part of our the, the activity we've been doing is moving simulators into the United States from other locations. And actually, what we increased our, our forecast on capital deployment this year that we announced at the beginning of the year, some of that was going exactly towards this. So, to me, uh, you know that 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 is a trend. And it's you know we predicted that trend that this is an environment where there's going to be a lot more opportunities for. You know, people considering us as the really only viable global third-party option. Where, and in fact, you know, because you know, pre-COVID, you do you do a million hours plus a year of training. We offer a very, very good alternative. And so, to me, it's it's look, we have we have a lot of discussions. We have, I have a lot of discussions at IATA. We have a lot of discussions ongoing, and we're signing contracts. Uh, we're signing contracts for new, new airlines. We're signing contracts for overflow training agreements where people uh, want excess capacity right now. And in a lot of cases, because they need it like right now or they want to ensure that they will have it as they ramp up operations 
to be able to seize the opportunity afforded by increased passenger traffic. And when we do that, you know, we're signing people to longer-term contracts so that that activity for us will sustain. That, that makes sense. I'm, I'm not sure. Do you have a sense of, like, maybe what that breakdown is, you know, or was maybe pre-pandemic between, uh, you know, pilot training that would have been in-source versus outsource versus what it looks today, or I suspect is probably pretty fluid and maybe it's tough to pin down at the moment. Well, I can't give you a hard number right now it, it, because, uh, it's, first of all, it's not steady, and it'd be very hard to compare it apples to apples uh, or uh, number. Right? Maybe it's in future quarters we can give it, but right now I couldn't give you a certainty, a, a number on that, but I can tell you this more. You look at the contracts that we've got, traditional carriers that we're ordering uh, simulators that now they say, no, we'll, we'll basically you know, just sign up a contract with you to, for you to provide the simulator and position that. We, we did that with, recently with SAS. We did it with WestJet. We did it with Air Canada. Uh, so there's definitely more, but again, I can't give you a precise number right now in terms of breakdown. Okay. Uh, and maybe just on the, on the Air Center transaction you announced um, maybe a week or two ago, can you just speak to how, how you feel about your, 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 I guess, your broader you know, crew management, you know, flight management portfolio? Like, do you feel like you have you know, all the tools now to, to kind of capture the, the higher TAM that you've put out there, or do you think you need to kind of backfill some of that product line still? And then I guess when you look at the Air Center client base or you know, the, the, the customers that they're dealing with versus the ones that you're dealing with, I guess I'd be interested in knowing I guess where the opportunities to cross sell are. You know, do they have a large subset of customers that you don't, you, don't, you know, you don't deal with, or, or vice versa? That maybe offers an ability to, to maybe capture revenue synergies. Well, all of that. I think look, to me, look, I'm, I'm extremely excited about this acquisition. As I said, you know, when we when we first acquired in, in our press release, reason being, look, first and foremost, you know, and, and we said this at the time we acquired Merlot and Rosterbuster. The civil, aviation, uh, the civil aviation flight operations software market, it's over $2 billion. Over 50% of that, of that spend is outsourced. And, and what we're acquiring now, we are acquiring a huge stake, a leadership stake in that market. So to me, this is a crowning achievement in that strategy. And this, what, really what we're doing here, you've seen us over the year move from what was, you know, a few years ago, what certainly when I joined CE, moved from being a really a simulator partner to airlines, moving in deliberately towards being a training partner to the airline, leveraging in the past few years our digital offerings to make ourselves essential to customers, providing them insights on their business that really, that we could, uh, we could deliver to them using the, the data that we have on our operations. And now what we're doing is we're moving from being this training partner to becoming a technology partner. And that's really just about, you know, be, uh, growing the amount of work that we could do with this airline. And I can tell you, it's very well received. Again, I, I was talking about my meetings with the uh, CEOs at the uh, IATA General meeting. And, you know, obviously we weren't talking about Sabre at that time because we hadn't, we hadn't announced the acquisition at that time. So we were certainly weren't talking about it. But we did have Melo, a much smaller but, but differentiated offering in that market. And I can tell you, there was, there was no pushback whatsoever with regards to airline CEOs, which are our customers, about CE bringing, bringing our expertise as a partner in crew resourcing and flight planning 
In fact, they would see it as a natural extension of what we do with them because it, it's all about delivering essential services to the airline, just like we do in training. So look, this is a, this is a great asset. You know, we have all, pretty much all of, almost all of Sabre's customers are our customers. There is, we are getting more customers, there's for sure. But so there, to me, there's a, a lot of opportunities to leverage those relationships, to cross-sell, and as well, don't forget, I, I really believe a testimony by a contract, the first contract we announced this quarter, literally, is a contract with Initech Execare. I really believe that there is an opportunity set here for rolling us out across business aircraft, which is an untapped opportunity. So, again, you know, I'm, and, and by the way, Leading the testimony to to my confidence in this business, I put one of most our most senior uh, ex, uh, executives in the company to lead this business. Pascal Grenier working, and I have very very high confidence that with Pascal working with the fantastic people that I've seen so far that have been met at the, at this part of Sabre Air Center, I think we'll do well in this business. That's uh, that's good, Caller. That's it for me. Thank you for taking my questions. Thank, Thank you. you. Our next question is from Cameron Dirksen from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I just want to come back to the, uh, I guess, sort of the, the longer term um, margin uh, target that you've got out there, 17%. Uh, obviously, that would imply you know some, some nice improvement from where you were pre-pandemic. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you see the returns on capital evolving as your end markets normalize. Um, because, uh, you know, obviously the, the capital base has changed here with the acquisition of L3 uh, and also with the pending Air Center acquisition, which, which presumably has, you know, a lower capital base. So any comments around the, the return on capital you would expect to, to see as things normalize? Uh, you know, we we accept, expect um, the return those those increased margins to flow through uh, as uh, increasing on the return on capital. So you, you saw uh, a few years ago before the pandemic, we we had driven more than 300 basis points improvement in just a few years, and that's on optimized, um, you know, disciplined deployment of organic and inorganic capital, right? So uh, the CapEx that we're deploying, uh, the organic capital, all have, um, you know, significant incremental returns driving 20 to 30% incremental returns within just a few years. And as we've seen, we've got very uh, interesting and accretive um, um, acquisitions in inorganic. So as those uh, deliver on, on our expectation, they'll be driving uh, improved free cash flow. All of these are free cash flow accretive and return on capital. Okay, and uh, I guess maybe a second question for me, just on the, the, the uh, restructuring activity. Just wonder if you can update on, on where we stand there. I'm particularly interested in the, the status of the, the kind of the, the training network reorganization, you know, some of the training centers uh, have been consolidated, things like that. So, so where are we uh, in, in that process? Absolutely. So some great uh, progress in optimizing the footprint and, as Mark mentioned, relocating SIMs, so taking them where there's lesser demand and deploying them in the Americas uh, and so on to serve market demand, so really kind of optimizing that use of capital and matching up demand or capital with the demand. So uh, in this quarter, so in this quarter we incurred about $13 million of, of cost 
$20 million year to date on the restructuring program. And um, ultimately, this quarter, we did a, a finalize some additional UK uh, consolidation. So the UK is pretty much done. And we've, we've got the bulk um, done. However, a couple of remaining um, consolidations in Europe and in South America that we'll see uh, closing out in Q4. And, but we, we already are seeing um, significant amount of savings. So you've seen that. Uh, on uh, in the quarter with a really good step up on the savings uh, on a year-to-date basis and on in the quarter, uh, and you see that on the civil margin, right? So uh, what I'll note is that despite the timing of the delivery revenue on the product because of the lower deliveries, uh, the SOI margin expanded to 18%. So that was the impact of the higher training revenue with a utilization of only 53% and really highlights the great progress on the structural cost savings that were delivered in the quarter. Okay, and, and would I guess the consolidation uh, activity and the moving of simulators uh, into the U.S. as you mentioned, would that have had a negative impact on the utilization rate in the quarter? Well, absolutely. When you when you're moving a simulator, you 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 uh, you uh, turn it down, and and it takes a few months to uh, bring it down, to move it, uh, and then to start it back up. So so that does have some some noise in the utilization metric. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That that was it for me. Thanks very much. And don't forget seasonality, Cameron. This was, it was a different effect, but, you know, very similar in terms of business aircraft this year, as well as commercial aircraft centers. Right, right, for sure. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is from Noah Poponak from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Mark, um, I'm struggling a little bit to follow the um, the explanation of the utilization rate and the attribution to the geographic difference um, because if I if I look at the progression in the utilization rate, you know, it made it to this kind of 50% approximate 50% level uh, for the first time in the September 2020 quarter, and since then global ASMs have nearly doubled. And I understand you have the different geographic exposures with the weighting to Europe, then Asia Pacific, then North America, and that North America has been strongest. But, you know, seat miles flown in Europe in that period of time have also almost doubled. Uh, they've grown a lot in, in Asia Pacific. Um, I think your simulator network is more exposed to narrow body than wide body. So I, I'm just not following. Like, like I understand your you have these exposures outside of North America, but there have been, you know, decent recoveries there. And if I just take a sort of weighted average of those geographies relative to your exposure, it, it doesn't ex really explain that utilization rate being flat. Can you help me square that circle? Well, I wish I had a model that was that simple, to be honest. <laughs> it's really, you can't take a weighted average to, to, uh, to, to look at our business just because the number of training centers that we have across the world. I mean, in the end of the day, uh, and, and don't forget that when you, know, if you look at Europe, what you're talking about there, when people are flying a lot, they're not training a lot. And, so, and that's why we always have a seasonal dip in, in, uh, in the quarter. So really, really what you, where you get the, the, the big training activities there is when they're preparing, they're preparing their crews. When, when you have a steady state, I'm talking about, they're preparing their crews, making sure that they can ramp up. I mean, what we see right now is that we have utilization rates currently in the Americas that are in the mid-70s range, and that some days higher. 
and you know, we follow in, uh, by Europe, which has you know, been approaching 60s, on, and, uh, and in Asia and Middle East, which is still at pretty depressed levels. I mean, it's a fact. It's obviously moving to a pro around 50%. So, but, you know, I can't stop that, you know, and the fact that it's, it's really, you know, except for the United States, which is pretty darn, you know, uh, like I said, recovered to pre-pandemic levels, you, you just can't take a weighted average as a perfect correlation to ASM. You just can't. Is there an, an element where, you know, in a very severe downturn like we had, um, and when you're working your way back up, you know, you have airlines that do their own simulation and training, those that have outsourced it, and then those that do a combination that, you know, you just have airlines that want to use all their own capacity before they then move back to outsourced capacity. Is, yeah, is that an yeah, input? Uh, well, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, okay. People do that. They're, they would do that, but... I, I, I would tell you, though, that people that have all that capacity, in, in the end of the day, that they still have to drive a lot of pilot demand. Where those areas that they, ramp, they have to ramp up, like the United States, they have to ramp up a huge amount of pilot in a short amount of time. Now, that's been somewhat mitigated in the Americas by the fact that because of the government's support, they haven't, you know, at, you know by and large, you know, reduce the level of activity to a, a depressed level. So they had, if you like, some firepower that they, but, you know, to not get into that situation. But even with that, as, and as testimony by higher levels of simulator sales, you know, so far the, so far this, this year, and the activity level I see on full flight tech, full flight simulators makes me pretty darn optimistic. And, and that's, uh, that as well, I would basically correlate that with all the conversations I have, specifically with CEOs of airlines across the world, which is okay. really what gives me the confidence that what I'm seeing in the United States is a blueprint for what's going to happen elsewhere. That's the yeah. confidence of that. that. That makes sense. And then just last one, can, can you square us up on um, where your business jet revenues and margins are uh, at this point, on a on a run rate basis, compared to pre-pandemic, they're high. Are they above pre-pandemic? They're high. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing well. We're doing well. Look, I think we're no. I, I'm not being flippant here, but you know, our the, the activity levels that that we see is you know we're higher than pre COVID levels. In the in the Americas, certainly we are right now, uh, and I, I think we're we're doing well in terms of now. I don't think I want to get too much ahead of that prediction, except that it's that's factored into the outlook that we give with regard to our margin going forward. And you know, it's no surprise that you wouldn't be. You know, it's, it's a question of leverage. You know, we're throwing more we're throwing more level of training activity at a quasi fixed. Uh, I fixed uh, base of business. You know the base, the major major expense is depreciation. I mean, it, in this case, that's somewhat different because we're not selling dry time; we're selling courses. So we have to ramp up with with instructors, that kind of thing. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think, look, as Sony was saying, consider the fact that we're making an 18% margin with 53% utilization. And I think when you look at that, that's got to underscore the progress that we're making. Yeah. No, that's fair. Okay. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Benoit Poirier with Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, given the current utilization rate, do you see further opportunities to reshuffle or redeploy the uh, simulator fleet uh, around the, the network? We've done a lot of that already, I would tell you, but it's not to say we won't do more. We're always doing some, but, uh, you know, for the past uh, couple of quarters, we've been, move we've been moving everything that's not tied down to the United States, <laughs> figuratively speaking. But, uh, no, there's been a lot of opportunities there, uh, so, so we've done that. But I, I, think that's, I don't think that's a huge factor going forward. Okay, okay, that's great color. And obviously with Merlot and also uh, Sabre, uh, you're kind of entering a, a very big addressable market for flight and crew management and optimization solution. So it seems that you're, you're running at about 180 million in terms of uh, exposure versus a market that you calling close to 2 billion. So I would be curious to, to know more about the opportunity to, to capture uh, market share uh, among the $2 billion market within the next five years, whether uh, you see opportunities to, to, to increase your market share uh, on the organic basis and maybe uh, through further M&A. Look, I think it's too early to talk about that, Benoit. I would tell you I'm very confident in the business, as I said. Look, our first order of business is to transition the business. I mean, this, as, as you, will, you will well know, this is a business that is extremely critical to the airlines day to day, just like training is, even perhaps even more. Uh, so for us, it's make sure to transition the business very well without skipping a beat with regards to our customers. At the same time, and that's factored into the the, the price that in the, in the our business case on this on this acquisition, we factored money to basically solidify and differentiate the business uh, with airlines. And that alone, I think, has uh, has a lot of potential. And then, yeah, then you're talking about the organic. Organic growth, just testimony by the growth of aviation by itself, which will be double digit for quite a few years, just recovering from the pandemic. Then comes, you know, market share gains. And don't forget what I said about there's opportunities to me on business aircraft, which to me is virgin territory. But in terms of that's directionally, in terms of quantitatively, it's, I think it's way too early. We haven't even closed oh. it yet. Okay, and last one for me, maybe for Sonia, uh, in terms of net debt EBITDA. Uh, from the four-time post, the uh, Sabre acquisition. What about the timing to, to get back to 2.5 time? And assuming there are still further M&A opportunities on the horizon, what would be kind of the max level you would feel uh, comfortable with? Listen, we always balance uh, a solid balance sheet with these accretive uh, uh, investments. And so, you know, the timing of whether it's organic or inorganic investments will, will drive some of that. So, you know, we're, we're at investment grade profile, and, and uh, that's where we uh, stay comfortable, which is in the 35 to 45% net debt to cap. Uh, so, so what I'll say is, you know, we expect it to go a little higher in Q4 and then to deliver quickly as we generate cash. Uh, and uh, generate cash out of the, these new acquisitions, and as our EBITDA uh, ramps up quickly, and so drives uh, an improved net debt to, to, or debt, net debt to EBITDA ratio. Okay. Th thanks for the time. Thank you. 
Operator, I see we've uh, run a little longer than, uh, than usual here. I think we'd like to use the last few minutes, if we can, to open the line to members of the media, should there be any questions from media. Certainly. As a reminder, if you'd like to register for a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4. Our first question is from André Allard from Les Ailes du Québec. Please go ahead. Oui, bonjour tout le monde. Ben, félicitations pour les beaux résultats encore. Euh, je voudrais savoir, en termes d'acquisition à venir, j'imagine que vous vous êtes fixé une limite là, de montant d'acquisition par entreprise ou au total des acquisitions. Vous me donnez une idée de ce que ça pourrait avoir l'air? Mais on n'a pas, pas, pas de chiffre magique sur euh, acquisition. C'est cas par cas. On a une stratégie, évidemment, on, puis on est patient, puis euh, on y va avec les opportunités qu'on voit devant nous. On va saisir les opportunités. Euh, on, il y en a eu beaucoup pendant la, la crise qu'on qu vit encore, dans certains cas, de fait neuf. Puis c'était toutes les acquisitions qui ont été euh, qui ont été des, des bons, des, des bonnes, du point de vue avancer notre stratégie et contribuer à nos résultats. Fait que, on va continuer à regarder. On a, on a encore une, euh, ce que j'appellerais un bon, euh, un bon éventail de possibilités devant nous. Mais encore une fois, on va être patient. Puis, bien, on n'a pas nécessairement de chiffres. Ok. Donc, puis, puis financièrement, la, la capacité d'emprunter de, de CA est encore bonne. Donc, au besoin. Vous allez avoir recours à des de emprunts pour faire vos acquisitions? Bon, on a une bonne capacité d'emprunt. Euh, je ne sais pas si Sonia, tu veux euh, élaborer là-dessus? Oui, c'est toujours un, une bonne balance d'investir dans la croissance euh, et de maintenir une, une position financière très solide. Donc, euh, on, on a donc on a une belle position confortable et puis on continue à avoir de la capacité, oui. Ben, si vous permettez, je vais, je, je vais enchaîner avec une question au niveau de recherche et développement. Vous maintenez, vous maintenez vos, 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 vos niveaux d'investissement en recherche et développement. Est-ce que dans les deux prochaines années à venir, on peut s'attendre à des, des nouvelles annonces, des nouvelles technologies, technologies qui vont débloquer ou c'est plutôt des petites euh, améliorations qui sont à la pièce, qui ne sont peut-être pas visibles, mais qui, qui continuellement? Oh non, non, écoute, euh, écoute, on a annoncé euh, un programme cette année euh, avec le gouvernement fédéral et le gouvernement euh, provincial, où si j'étais là avec euh, l'annonce avec euh, le premier ministre Trudeau, avec le premier ministre Legault, euh, puis on a annoncé qu'on un gros programme d'investissement en recherche et développement pour euh, les prochaines années, et c'est certain qu'il va y avoir des grandes réalisations qui vont être associées à ça, entre autres des avions électriques, tu sais, le... le des, euh, des, euh, des développements dans tout ce qui est digital sur le plan d'entreprise, les avions comme euh, on a signé une entente euh, avec Beta, Beta c'est une compagnie qui fait ses, des avions, des avions électriques, ben, pas, pas des avions électriques, mais des nouveaux véhicules qu'on appelle euh, en anglais des e-vitals, la, la mobilité urbaine, des, pas des taxis aériens qui appellent. Euh, puis euh, on est très excités de ce, ce, ce partenariat-là qui est pas le, le qui est pas le seul, on en a plusieurs déjà qu'on a annoncé. Fait, pour revenir à votre question, c'est certain que les, les innovations, la recherche et le développement vont faire 
vont, vont résulter par des annonces et des, des innovations que, qu on, sur lesquelles on va, on va parler, qui vont faire couler beaucoup d'encre, tant que moi. Puis avez-vous avez une idée là, de, 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 du, du, du timeline, du time frame dans lequel ça s'en vient? C'est pas encore assez avancé pour ça? Non, écoute, on ne donnerait pas vraiment de pression pour ça, pour des questions compétitives, évidemment, on ne voudrait pas le faire. Bon, ben moi, je n'ai pas d'autres questions, mais euh, je, je, alors je vous remercie beaucoup d'avoir répondu, Yann. Merci. Merci. Thank you, operators. So that's all the time we have for the call today. I want to thank all participants. Merci beaucoup à tous nos participants. Uh, and I'd like to remind uh, listeners that a uh, transcript of today's call can be found on CE's website at ce.com. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you all for your participation, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.